Good evening. Tonight's reading is continuing in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, starting at verse 6 on page 1197. So 2 Timothy, chapter 4, starting at verse 6, page 1197. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is God's word. Good evening. It's good to see you all, folks, and it's good to be able to get into God's word with you this evening. Shaq, thank you so much for reading our passage. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you so much for the blessing of your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it. We get to know you through it. We get to know your will for us. Father, we pray you'd help us this evening Um, as, as we think about a topic that our society hates to think about and hates to talk about, we pray that you'd help us to think more clearly about it and scripturally about it. And we pray your spirit speak through me and give us soft hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I recently read somewhere how in previous generations, sex was a taboo subject and death wasn't. But today, things have flipped. Our culture openly talks about sex, but shies away from talking about death. Sure, you'll hear cliches like, oh, at least she's in a better place now. Or, he's gone to sleep with the angels. But how do we know that? What's our basis for thinking those things? I think people will often say things like that in order to try to make some sense of the foe we will all have to face, death. In a desperate attempt to find some comfort in how death can often make us feel sad, confused, despaired, angry, helpless, people will cling to the hope that death isn't the end. Deep down, we all want there to be some form of life beyond death. If there's no life beyond death, then death is the end of you. It's the end of your dreams, it's the end of your success, and it's the end of your most treasured relationships. Death says in capital letters, the end. So it's no wonder that death often brings with it a sense of defeat. But there is a way not to feel crippled by hopelessness when it comes to death. 
And it's not by having a vague, nebulous hope that you'll go sleep with the angels or float on a cloud when you die. It's by holding on to something far more tangible, something bedded in history. Earlier in 2 Timothy, Paul wrote, If we died with him, if we died with Jesus, we will also live with him. What was Paul referring to? He was alluding to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Although Jesus died, he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life. Similarly, although we too will die, if we are trusting in Jesus, we will also rise to life. Friends, this means that a Christian's hope in life beyond death isn't wishful thinking. Our hope in life beyond death is based on the historical event that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, never to die again. So our hope that we will rise from the dead is not pie in the sky. We're not hoping for something that is unprecedented. What we are hoping what we are hoping in, what we believe will happen to us is something that happened to someone who promised it would happen to him. Jesus pulled off what he said he would do. He gave us proof that life beyond death is real and is available to all who believe in him. So Christian's hope isn't vague. It's not an unfounded hope like sleeping with the angels. It's a real concrete hope. We will rise again. Now, having said that, Christians still struggle with death. It's something that we'd rather not have to go through. Steve Jobs, uh, shortly after being diagnosed with terminal cancer, said, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty than when death was a useful but purely intellectual concept. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. That last sentence struck me. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. We can all relate to that, can't we? This evening, I want us to consider the Apostle Paul's approach to death. In tonight's passage, we see that Paul was getting ready to die. He says in verse 6, The time for my departure is near. But the way Paul viewed death was remarkably different to how Steve Jobs did and to how most people do. For Paul, death was not a defeat. In tonight's passage, we're going to see three reasons why Paul did not feel crushed, even though he knew he was going to be killed. Here's the first reason Paul doesn't feel defeated by death. He sees death as a loosening. 
Let's read verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. This verse is very clearly uh, referring to Paul's looming death. Not only does he mention uh, the, the nearing of the time of his departure, he also says he's already being poured out like a drink offering. What on earth does that mean? In the Old Testament, uh, the drink offering was an offering of wine or oil that was either poured out as a main offering or as an accompaniment uh, to another offering. That is, it would go alongside an animal sacrifice. Just as the drink offering would often complement the, the animal offering, Paul is saying that his sacrifice complements Christ's sacrifice. But here's the thing, and this is really important. It's not that Paul's sacrifice somehow adds anything to Christ's finished work on the cross. It could never do that. Rather, it's how his work of spreading the gospel has resulted in the news of Christ's finished work being spread and received by many. One commentator puts it this way. Being poured out is Paul's explanation of how it is that his experience of suffering goes hand in hand with people hearing about Jesus. The growth of the church is costly for him, much as a drink offering would be, because throwing away the best wine was an apparent waste of good money. And keeping Paul in prison was an apparent waste of a good apostle. But Paul was willing to pay the price if the result was conversions. Why is Paul facing execution? Because he's been proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. But he has no regrets because death will not be the end of him. The Greek word in our verse um, that's been translated, departure, means loosening. So Paul views his death as a, a loosening or a releasing. Think of a, a moored ship that has its rope untied just before it sets sail. That's the picture. The ship needs to be unmoored before it can cross the ocean. It needs to be loosened before it can do what it was built to do. Navigate the seas. So rather than viewing death as a primarily negative thing, which we all tend to do, Paul sees it as a loosening. It's, it's this loosening that will enable him to see Christ face to face And dwell with him forever. Folks, we so often view death as our ending. It's partly why I think we fear it so much. Instead, we should follow Paul's lead in seeing it 
as our loosening. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that we should try to hasten our death. Paul didn't do that and nowhere encourages that. Rather, here's what Paul does. He makes the most of his life by sacrificing it for the gospel until the time of his loosening comes. As Christians, we can make all sorts of sacrifices in this life. We can sacrifice our possessions, our time, our self-centered ambitions, and even certain unhealthy relationships. We can sacrifice everything for the gospel because one day we will die. We will be loosened from this world. And when we die, instead of it being our ending, it will only be the beginning of our eternal glory. Why doesn't Paul feel defeated by death? Because he sees death as a loosening. Here's the second reason he doesn't feel defeated by death. He stayed the course. Let's read verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If you've been with us uh, for some of the earlier talks in 2 Timothy, these words might sound vaguely familiar. So back in chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, Paul had compared doing gospel ministry to the work of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. I think what Paul is doing here is he's looking back on his life of ministry. And as he looks back, he's grateful that he's fought a good fight. Paul has carried out his duties as a loyal and diligent soldier. He didn't abandon the platoon or ignore the lieutenant when the going got tough. And he's he's finished the race. At times, it might have been tempting to drop out due to the high demands. But what's the point of preparing for a race and entering it if you're not going to To finish it. You enter a race because you want to cross the finish line. And because you want to set a new personal best and hopefully even win a medal. Barring an injury, dropping out halfway through the race really doesn't make sense. And finally, Paul's kept the faith. Just as a a farmer sows seeds in the hope that it will one day produce a harvest, Paul has faithfully sown gospel seeds in the belief that it too would yield a harvest of believers. In short, what has Paul done? He stayed the course. He hasn't given up living, living for Christ and for the gospel. One thing I've been particularly challenged by is how Paul's faith is manifested. He doesn't just believe that the gospel will save him. What do I mean? There's a degree of faith I can have whereby I believe that the gospel is powerful to save me. So why do I put my faith in Jesus? 
because I trust that he will rescue me. Now, that is, of course, all well and good. In order to be saved, I need to put my faith in Jesus. But there's another degree of faith I can have where I believe that the gospel is also powerful to save others. Now, if you're a Christian on paper, you'll agree that the gospel is powerful to save not only you, but others too. But to what extent do we believe this in practice? Paul really does. He's been willing to suffer so that others might come to hear and believe the gospel. Paul is willing to endure hardship for the gospel. And this is what he wants Timothy to do. Back in verse 5, Paul said to Timothy, Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Why does Paul want Timothy to to do these things? Because Paul's going to die soon. It's now time for Timothy to pick up the baton. And Timothy is to be careful not to allow to drop as some of their friends, their old friends have. Think of Hymenaeus and Philetus, who we learned back in chapter 2 had moved away from trusting the gospel. They didn't stay the course. Timothy must beware of falling into that same trap. Rather, he is to imitate Paul's endurance. Friends, faith isn't about how well you start, is it? It's about how well you finish. You see, Paul doesn't feel defeated by death. Because unlike the gospel deserters, he's kept the faith. He stayed the course. And what does this mean for him? Look at the beginning of verse 8. Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Earlier in the letter, Paul had spoken of competing as an athlete in order to receive the victor's crown. Paul is now looking forward to receiving his crown. Death is not a defeat for him. A crown awaits him. But this crown isn't only available to Paul. Let's look again at verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This crown isn't only available to to Paul, but also to Timothy. Even if Timothy ends up, like Paul, dying because of the gospel, he will receive a crown. Timothy, it's worth you staying the course too, even if it leads to your death. There's a crown. Here's the third reason why Paul 
doesn't need to, to feel defeated by death. And it's highly relevant to us. He can't wait to see Jesus. Paul says that all who have longed for Jesus' appearing will receive the crown of righteousness. The, um, the Greek word behind longed is actually loved. Who will receive the crown? All who have loved Jesus' appearing. Now, why do I point that out? I do so because I think Paul wants us to, to contrast or compare those who've loved Jesus' appearing with those who've loved the world. Have a look at verse 10 and notice what Demas loved. What did Demas love? What was his problem? He loved this world. I think Paul is showing us that we, we cannot love both Jesus and the world. We can, we can love only one, not both. And if you think about it, it actually makes sense. If you love this world, you will not get very excited about seeing Jesus. You will view his appearing as an interruption of your enjoying this life and everything in it. But if you love Jesus' appearing, if you can't wait to see him, then your death or his return will not hinder your joy. Instead, it will exponentially increase it. If, if you love this world, then death will feel like a huge defeat. But if you're looking forward to seeing Jesus, then although death will still be difficult, ultimately, it will not be your defeat. The highly respected uh, New Testament scholar, Gordon Fee, passed away on Tuesday at the age of 88. He'd once told his students on the first day of a New Testament class that they would someday come across a headline saying, Gordon Fee is dead. He got on top of the table and shouted, Do not believe it! He is singing with his Lord and his King. Doesn't that sound like someone who just couldn't wait to see Jesus? Someone who loved Jesus' appearing. For Gordon Fee, death wasn't a defeat. He is singing with his Lord and King. Folks, if we love Jesus, we can be sure that we too will one day sing with him. Death will not be our end. It will not defeat us. It will only usher us into unfathomable joy. We'll receive the crown that awaits those who've been made righteous by faith in Christ. The righteous judge will ensure that we receive it.
Paul would have been expecting the Emperor Nero to declare him guilty and condemn him to death. But Jesus, Jesus, the righteous judge, the one who's the one whose verdict ultimately matters, he, he declares him righteous. And that's what he declares of every believer. Friends, death seems to us to be a defeat. But that can only be true if we do not love Christ. If you love Jesus, death will be your loosening. Let's pray. Father, our society really doesn't have the foggiest on how to make sense of death. Or, yeah, um, it just doesn't make sense at all. Even as Christians, we struggle with it. And so we thank you so much for your word and what it has to say to us about it. We thank you for Paul's example of, of how to view our own death in light of the gospel. Help us to see to see our own death as a loosening so that we will not fear it too much. And we pray that you would enable us to stay the course and help us to love Jesus, to love his appearing more than we love this world. We need your help in all of these things. And so we do pray that you would enable us to to do them. Help us by your grace, to stay the course. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.